Amen. Thank you, Steve. And notice as the camera pans very closely, um, the, the joy it is, unfortunately, I should really be careful of the clothes I wear to make sure it's not too tight on my body as well. Um, but good morning, everyone. It's such a joy to be here for you. are joining us for the first time. My name is Jeeves. I have the privilege of overseeing the youth work with my wonderful, beautiful wife, Catherine. Um, and it's a joy as well for us to return back to Luke. Um, but our moment in Luke is um, going to be actually tapping into what we've been looking at over Easter. Um, And we're going to be looking at a moment where Jesus is tackling a taboo about foretelling about his death. And it's such a a moment for us to take stock of, especially after Easter. This Easter is kind of the fulfillment of all of these things that we read in the Old Testament and that we see uh, uh, foretold in the New Testament. And the rest of the New Testament is in enlightenment of what Jesus did on that cross and the stamp on death with the resurrection. But we're in this moment of Luke that we need to probably digest exactly the meaning and the weight of Jesus foretelling his death. And right after that, we are going to be introduced, which I, who I believe is probably one of the most interesting characters that we're going to come across in Luke. Um, I, I say that not um, just because I'm speaking on it and I want to keep people engaged, but genuinely because of what we are going to see, we just see such enlightenment from someone that I think we need to take a stock of. We need to pause and really understand that. Um, I also realized that there's multiple cameras, so this is going to be really fun for me to try and figure out what angle I look at. Um, and we all know that I'm a walker as well. So hopefully I'll stay within the bandwidth of the camera. Um, so we're going to have fun. Hopefully it'll be a good time to understand a little bit better and also have our eyes opened up, which is a great pun for what we're going to be looking at, um, to the king. So why don't I just pray and then um, we'll, we'll kick off. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your glorious power. I pray as we look at these um, words from Luke today, that, Father, you would just help us to um, just dive straight into you, Father, to see more of your glory, to see more of who you are. And I pray that these words would just settle right into our very heart, we pray today. Amen. Amen. Okay, so the the words are going to come up on your uh, screen um, just in a second. Uh, If you've got a Bible, I want to recommend everyone to keep getting out your Bibles, even though we are in a tech world. um, We want to be reliant on the Word of God rather than just kind of watchers and seeing it on the screen. So um, if you can, it's Luke 18, verses 31 to 43 we're going to be looking at. We're going to look at the first bit first, and then we're going to go into this next bit afterwards. So hopefully it will come onto the screen anytime soon. Thank you, JMO. Um, James and Dave, just big up to them as well for who, how they've been helping out with the tech a lot. Um, I'm so grateful for uh, their talents in this place, for how we've been able to do this as a church. Right, let us tackle first from Luke 18, 31 to 34. And taking the 12, he said to them, see, we are going to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles. He'll be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. And they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. Thanks, Jamie. 
Okay, so we see that Jesus again sharing this prophetic truth about what is to come. The, the reason, uh, kind of the journey to, to Jerusalem, the need that this son of man is to die. We, we see the fact that this prophet, uh, prophetic word is given so that um, humanity could be free to carry out the gruesome and beautiful, bloody and glorious plan. And actually, if we go on our journey in Luke, this is the third time that we've seen it. The first two times was in Luke 9, all that time ago, and probably for whilst we've been in Luke, all those years ago that we looked at Luke 9, and at the beginning of the journey to Jerusalem. So actually, at the very beginning of the journey towards Jerusalem, Jesus foretold this, and as he's nearing probably what is the last little stint, he's saying it again, but what we see in this bit is more detail than we have seen in any of the other passages. Now we are understanding a little bit more about what is going to happen. Now, we need to take a point as well about what the title Son of Man is. What, what, what is Jesus trying to say here when he talks about the Son of Man? Well, what Jesus is saying actually by referring to the Son of Man is adding into the prophetic words that have been said previously. So in Daniel 7 in particular, it talks about this um, Son of Man who is coming to take the guilt and shame and weakness of people and stamping on the head of this snake. This idea in Daniel of saying that the Son of Man will be a liberator for people, for the Israelites at that time. Now, we, we need to just remind ourselves of the purpose of how the Bible kind of links together and how the prophetic words spoken in the Old Testament really adds into the account that the, the pivotal moment of Jesus really takes place. We, we see in the Psalms, it talks about that there's going to be betrayal that comes from a close friend for this son of man. In Zechariah, it talks about that the cost of the betrayal will be for 30 pieces of silver, and it will be used to buy a potter's field. In Isaiah, it states that this Messiah will be beaten, mocked, spat upon, by his wounds will be healed will be healed. Daniel 7 states that he'll be put to death and he will have nothing. In Isaiah as well, it talks about the beautiful resurrection to come, that the death of the Messiah is the ultimate sacrifice and offering for sin for God's people to be redeemed. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but what I've been calling out, Jesus is foretelling those things. And if we look at Jesus' life, when we look at, at what is to come, we see these seven kind of key bits that are called out to be fulfilled. So um, I've made a handy dandy table. We all love a good table. So hopefully that will come up on your screen as well now. Um, but if we kind of look at it, it says, for example, hand to the Gentiles. We see that fulfilled when we look at Luke 23. Jesus will be mocked. We see Jesus being mocked at the courts um, before the Pontius Pilate, and we see it being mocked continuously whilst he's on the cross in Luke 22 and Matthew 27. Shamefully treated. Jesus was shamefully treated in Luke 23. He was spat upon. Who would have thought he was spat upon before he went to the cross and when he was on the cross? Flogged. We know that he was flogged with this cat of nine tails, this barbaric thing that would tear away the skin of someone in that way as well. That he would be killed. Jesus, as we know, was killed. 
what we recognize and remember on Good Friday. But he will be raised to life. The joyful celebration that we had last week on Easter Sunday. Thanks, James. Jesus is stating clearly here the prophetic words that the Old Testament is summarizing to say this is what's going to happen. And praise be to God that Jesus does it. The choice that he made to follow through the glorious plan, Jesus does it. He is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. He is the pivotal milestone and cornerstone of the New Testament. And Jesus is a freedom for as we live forevermore. Jesus fulfilled what the Old Testament was saying. Jesus also brought in the new covenant, stamping away what the Old Testament was saying about circumcision, about food laws, about sacrifices. All of that died as Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament so that we could live freely in the New Testament. That it's no longer the circumcision of flesh, but it's the circumcision of heart as I give my life to Christ. It's such a beautiful thing. It's amazing living in this time that what Jesus spoke about, we saw the fulfillment. But this is where we need to take stock, really, where the disciples, it says both times in Luke 9 and in this, that they did not understand. But if you put yourselves in their shoes, let's just take a moment. This is the, the guy, right? This is a guy that they're following. They're following around. They're seeing him raise people from the dead. They're seeing him um, heal people. They're seeing him feed thousands upon thousands of people. And he's saying that this savior is to die. Not just die, but be beaten, spat upon, mocked, flogged in a gruesome, gruesome way. This saviour that was meant to liberate them, that they saw was meant to liberate them from the Romans, liberate them from humanity. And finally, the Jewish people in that time will be free. Their saviour is to die. So if you put yourself in the shoes, not knowing what comes after Good Friday, in this moment on the journey to Jerusalem, you kind of get it, right? Let's take our aftermath of knowing what happens at the end of the story out of our place right now. For the shoes that the disciples were in, they couldn't comprehend it. The fog over the disciple clears up by the end of Luke that we read, that Jesus takes time to explain everything. But at that moment, they just couldn't understand it. It's not that um, something was spoken that was unintelligible or it wasn't something that they just really didn't understand or they were too thick to understand it. It's nothing to do with that. It was just incomprehensible. It was something that just didn't make sense. They couldn't shake from their mind the cultural context and the vision that they had of this Messiah to see the reality of what this Messiah had to do. Yeah, granted, it's written all over the Old Testament, but it's easy to skip over the difficult bits to read of the Old Testament and focus on the bits that is nice to see, the liberation and freedom. Yeah, great. But this liberation comes with death. It's easier to focus on the delight than it is to focus on the reality, the sobering, 
the things that have to come, the difficulty that has to come. In fact, Jesus talks about what is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. And so we know that what was said had to be accomplished. But the disciples had a blind spot that they just didn't want to see. In fact, Peter before, you know, he, um, the famous story that Jesus is talking about this, and Peter said, I will not let this happen, Jesus. I will not let this happen in this way. It couldn't get out of his mind, this blind spot that was sticking out like a sore thumb, that this man that he was following had to die. And it's easy for us as well. The blind spot of false expectation, the blind spot of our desires being met in the way that we want is really easy to kind of be caught out by without seeing the reality of what has to occur. It's a hard pill to swallow sometimes of the reality that, ha- that God has to do in our lives that we just focus on the delight and the joy and all of that rather than the fact that we have to go through suffering at times. The blind spot of our faith. The sobering moment of our faith at times. We often want to rush past that. Now, let let me use a very silly example um, of where this can happen in life. So, for example, I don't know about you, but for me, um, I like a salad. You can't tell by looking at me at the moment. It's a lockdown body. Don't judge. But um, I love a good salad. However, I think there's one part of a salad that is terrible. I think it is an awful thing. And I would love to pray for you afterwards if you like them, which is tomatoes. I hate tomatoes. These horrible makeup fruits that are meant to be veg, but they're actually fruits. And you bite into them. They're slimy. They're gushy. They're disgusting. The soil tastes moment of them. I really don't like tomatoes. And if I could have the choice, I would make a choice to say, you know what, let's get rid of all the tomatoes we can. But if I'm taking the blind spot of my thought of saying how much I detest this fake fruit, I'm I'm then not remembering the nutrients that it does to me. I'm not remembering actually the antioxidants that has helpful effects on me. I'm also forgetting that majority of um, a lot of cooking for sauce basis and that includes tomatoes. A lot of curries include tomatoes. Um, you know, pasta, pizza, all have to have tomatoes to have the base, to have the sauce. My blind spot thought about what this vegetable, fruit, tomato is, is causing me not to see of how much good it actually can do to me. What's the tomatoes in your life? What's the bit in your life that you're actually going, you know what, I'm, I'm going through this and I hate it. I'm struggling with this. I don't like the taste of it. I don't like the suffering of it. I don't like the movement of it. Um, I'm struggling to see how God is going to use this. But you're not really seeing the reality of God's hand over it. Jesus had to die. We go through suffering. Life is not always easy. Joy is not the same as happiness. Praise be to God. So therefore, we're going to go through times, as Ecclesiastes tell us, when it's time to rejoice, it's time to cry. It's time to be happy, it's time to mourn. But that doesn't neglect the fact that God is ultimately in control, that his plan will occur. We need to be assured that God's plan will be fulfilled. If we go to 1 Peter um, 4, 
uh, it says, I can't remember how I had these on the slides. I did, thank you, Jamie. Um, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange was happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad in the glory is revealed. God's glory will be seen. We can be assured. So even what is foretold in our life, that we will go through times of difficulty and suffering and struggle, God's glory will be seen. Therefore, how do we respond? Well, if the Son of Man is to be glorified, we need to make sure that we're not too blind to see that in every moment of our life. And what we're going to come on to is the perfection of Luke's timing, where his writing is exemplary, where he basically tackles this and welcomes us to a character that should convict the disciples and us about understanding of God's glory being seen. So let's, let's go on to this next bit. Um, I'm aware as well, I didn't have my time on me, so everyone just buckle in for, for, for what to come. So um, let's look at the next bit, Jamo, if that's okay. Thanks, mate. So we're going to go from 35 and we're going to go all the way to the end of Luke 18, 43. Hope the slides will be shared now. Beautiful. Thanks, Jamo. <clears throat> says, as he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he, when he came near, he asked him, what do you want to do? Uh, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Wow. Okay, so we're introduced to this blind man. Now, both in Mark's gospel and Matthew's gospel, um, we uh, have different accounts of this kind of scenario. In uh, Mark's gospel, we're told that this guy is called Bartimaeus. In Matthew's gospel, it says that there were two blind men together. I think fundamentally what unites the gospels in this account is that this blind man heard the hustle and bustle of it all, found out it was Jesus, and cried out, son of David. That's fundamentally what we're looking at, is that's the fundamental thing that we're doing. And if, this is the first time that we've seen in the gospel, someone acknowledge Jesus as son of David. In fact, the son of David is used five times in Luke. Twice in Jesus' genealogy in Luke 3. Once in Luke 20 as Jesus is responding to Pharisees questioning him. And twice spoken by this blind man. What I love is his loudly, and he got uh, hushed up for that. He must be living in Seven Oaks, because I fully understand his feeling of being loud and then being hushed up. Um, I jest. But this is really significant that this guy is saying, son of David. 
it carries the meaning we've often seen about Jesus um, that he is the new David. He is the new coming uh, uh, of the new king that has been long promised. It's really important that we take note of this because son of man um, is that messianic promise, but son of David um, was the, uh, I can't say it properly, but Davidic fulfillment that's been prophesied again in Isaiah. This is huge. This is massive that this blind guy recognizes who Jesus is and calls him son of David, the only one that we see logged in all of Luke to do it. And we see the social conventions around that time trying to put him off this, trying to hush him up. The blind man was having none of it. I love the fact that he goes uh, and he says louder, son of David. He takes a moment that he recognizes from the stories that he's told that this guy is coming path and he's important. And he's saying, I'm not going to waste my chance with him. There's no way I'm wasting my chance with this savior. This roaring declaration of truth comes out again to capture the Savior's attention. Let's pause on that. Let's, genuinely, let's pause on that, right? This guy was blind. Now, let's make this very clear. He couldn't see anything. At the time, what they would have had is they would have had a coat. I've got my coat here. Um, I hope this won't... Yeah, it's a nice coat, to be fair, but um, it could make me look a little bit weird but they had they would have had a coat with them that they would have worn and they would have put down on the ground to uh, keep them warm but also on the ground it would be there for any alms or anything that they would have had to kind of gather money up so their reliance really would have been on their coat and their clothes and then hopefully by just calling out to hearing different people walking past hopefully people would either give them food or money or different things and so this guy the whole time that he would have been there would have heard different stories about this guy from nazareth this guy who's doing mad things he wouldn't have seen anything he would have just heard it from the walkers by that would have gone past him and so when he hears the hustle and bustle, he can't see. Remember, he can't see the disciples walking by. He can't see the, he can't see the crowds. He couldn't even see Jesus at that time. He just heard and caught wind of what was going on. And he heard it was Jesus. And for him, he, this is... This is a moment he was waiting for. After hearing all the stories about who this guy is, not knowing it at all, he hears that it's Jesus, and he takes this moment to declare the fundamental truth and that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise by saying, Son of David, have mercy on me. He, he couldn't, remember, he couldn't see anything. So this all processing of thought would have gone in his head. So when he had the moment for the king, for the saviour, for the promised one, he is not going to waste his chance. In fact, in Mark's account, it says that when he was called up to go to Jesus, he took off his coat and threw it away and basically came before Jesus. The one thing that he was relying on for his whole life, the thing to keep him warm, the thing to help him bring in the provisions that people gave him, his coat that he was relying on, he threw it away to come to Jesus. An expectation that the life he had previously was not to be 
brought back to. He knew the fulfillment of the promise was in this man. And he knew that his life was going to be radically changed forevermore. I hope I've helped us just bask in that moment for a second. Because it's incredible. Bottom is, uh, this blind man picked the discipleship so clearly. He recognized his inability. He trusted Jesus as the one to give him God's grace and mercy. And he could see metaphorically so clearly that he had to follow Jesus. Jesus then asked him a very obvious question. We know what the blind man wants, right? Like he wants to see. But he allowed the blind man to declare his truth and to partition and ask the Savior what he wanted. And then Jesus says, your faith has healed you. Be free. This blind man who has never been able to see before, suddenly his eyes start opening up. The bits of his eyes that might have been there for a long time goes. He opens up slowly, the light coming in, and right before him, he sees the promised saviour. He sees the one that he's following. Not only did he metaphorically see with his heart, he finally physically sees his saviour. And he can't do anything more but praise. This blind man has full vision of Jesus before he could even see him. But it's funny. It's funny because just before this account, we have the account of the rich ruler. Physically able, all this kind of stuff. But he couldn't see who Jesus was. In fact, again, I made a lovely handy-dandy table. So if we go to the next slide, J-Mo, um, and share it, this is the comparison, right? Rich ruler and blind man. The rich ruler is wealthy. His position of power. He has social hierarchy with, within society. He's fully able. But he's religious. He's rule-orientated. And when Jesus says, this is the cost of following me, he's disheartened. And he walks away. The blind man, he's poor, he's a beggar, he's an outcast, he has disability with a physical sight, but his faith in God's glory orientated. And he's ready by the call to go to Jesus to give up everything that he has to follow Jesus. No matter how low our social position has been, when it comes to Jesus, and it doesn't matter how high our social position is, when it comes to Jesus, we are elevated to the highest possible position of our lives, which is a child of God. We are given everything. We have been brought into everything. In fact, um, Spurgeon says in this quote next, um, let me press the button. There you go. If Christ is not all to you, he is nothing to you. He will never go in partnership as part saviour of men. If he be something, he must be everything. And if he be not everything, he is nothing to you. You see that difference between the blind man and the rich ruler. The blind man who could not even see Jesus, but heard, understood it, and said, actually, I'm going to follow him. What the disciples couldn't understand of, of the fulfillment that had to come. The blind man got it when he heard that Jesus walking through. That he was the son of David. He was the Lord. He was the saviour. Thanks, Jamie. The quote that this blind man dropped 
is his old life that he was giving up to follow what Jesus was calling him to do. I don't know about you, but the reality is I end up being in both camps at times. I end up not fully understanding or seeing, and at times I'm like, yeah, I really see it. I know what God's doing in my life. My question is, when Jesus is coming past and he's here, the Holy Spirit is with us, what a glorious thing that is. When Jesus calls you to go, what's your coat that you've got to give up? What's your coat that you've got to take off? How are you responding? I know times in my life, as, and as I was reading this, I was just reflecting on times in my life where I've had to just continue to die to myself, to give up my coat. When I was leaving Britain in 2015, um, I was all set in Loughborough, where I was for uni. Came a moment in my life that just took me by surprise. Suddenly I had to give up all friendship, all relationship I had there, and move to Seven Oaks. I didn't know what God was going to do here. I didn't know this was the plan. At that time, I was heartbroken. I didn't know what to do. And whilst in Seven Oaks, like God just continued to pour in my life. I'm like, yes, I can see you moving. The day that Catherine and I get married, on that day, neither of us had a job or we had handed in our notices that after we got married, we weren't sure how we were going to make a way of life. Again, it's just like on our wedding day, we're just like, okay, after this, I don't know what God's going to do. But again, he, he continues to provide. But in that moment, I've got to die to myself and believe that God is going to move. He, that's, that's his promise. You know, when, when this whole aneurysm thing came on my arm and I'm, I was in hospital for four weeks by myself with the continued worry of the doctor saying, you're either going to lose a limb or you're going to lose your life. So what am I going to do with that? How are you going to handle that by yourself? Just being like, well, I know I'm going to be one-armed for the rest of my life. And, uh, you know, if I, if I have kids, they'll have one arm, all that kind of, you know, you know I won't be able to carry them both with both arms. I'll have them in one arm, all that kind of stuff. Or I will never, ever see my kids because I'll die. In that moment, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm trusting in God. And now in the aftermath, it's kind of easy to kind of go, well, I've got both arms, everything's fine. But in that moment, I did not know. You probably had the same in your life. Here's the beautiful thing. It's not about knowing the result. It's about knowing the provider. It's not about knowing the outcome. It's about knowing the one who's going to be assured with you throughout all of it. And I can make sure that I am being persistent with God, with my prayer, in what I'm doing with him. And as I come to land, let me just talk about our persistence for a second. Just like the blind man, there's meant to be a time where he would not stop crying out for God to move in his life. He had his moment to kind of go, you know what, I'm not going to waste that. And I bet you before that, he would have been processing that in the mind, saying, if I ever meet this Jesus guy, if I ever meet him, I'm not going to waste my opportunity. It's a beautiful thing. We live in the aftermath of the cross. We live in the aftermath of the resurrection that I can cry out to God every single day of my life. And when we're in moments that are difficult, where we don't understand, where it's incomprehensible, the truth remains that God is for us, that God is with us, and that we can do it in him. We can continue to pursue and be persistent in faith, knowing that God hears, loves, and knows us. 
That truth will never die, and what a joy it is. Therefore, in the moments when we just don't know what's going on, we can be persistent in prayer and crying out, saying, God, I want you to be glorified, move in my life. Have mercy in me. It's not about um, some prosperity gospel, about just gaining stuff for meet our desire. That's the rich, what the rich ruler wants. The blind man is saying, I'm giving everything up. I'm dying to myself so that, God, you would be glorified in my life. That's our prayer. Beloved family, as we head outside lockdown, there could be a moment where we don't get the plan that we might want. How are you going to continue to be persistent in prayer during that time? There are some of us now that have just really struggled with this. How are you being persistent in prayer now? Are you walking away disheartened, being like, oh, I've got to do this, like the rich ruler? Or are you going, you know what, even if I don't know what's to come, I'm going to be persistent in calling out to God, son of David, have mercy on me. Be glorified. If Jesus is the saviour who followed the plan of brutal suffering to give us life, then what more proof do you need that he is for you and he loves you. Therefore, what is your coat to drop, maybe give up the plans that you might have had, to give up maybe the status that you want to desire, to maybe give up the provision that you were to be given, knowing that with full assurance, God is in control. And we can be assured in the complete truth of it. Let me pray. And as I pray, I just, yeah, felt as I was preparing, um, there's a lot of coat droppings that need to happen today, myself included. And um, I also want to give space uh, that this might be the first time for you to drop that coat and to follow the king. And so I'm going to just pray a prayer of, of very simple um, three kind of words. Of sorry, thank you, please. Sorry, Jesus, for what I've done in my life. Thank you, Jesus, that you died the, the gruesome death for me to be free. And please, Holy Spirit, help me to live my life for you every day. It's very simple. He's so loving like that. So I'm going to pray that, and then we're just going to pray to drop our coats. And if you're wanting to respond at home lovingly, I ask you to just spend some time with the Holy Spirit, just dropping things that you just need to kind of say, you know what, that's been blocking me from seeing this truth, even if it's incomprehensible at times. So let me pray. So for those who might want to respond for the first time, if you just repeat the words I'm saying. Heavenly Father, sorry for the life that I've been living. I haven't been following you. Thank you, Jesus, that you chose to die on the cross for me so that I could be saved and so that I could follow you. And thank you that you rose to life as a stamp on death so that I could be alive in you. And please, Holy Spirit, help me to live my life every day for you. Amen.
If you prayed that prayer, please email either the office or Ian at Hope Church, the number seven oaks.org. But now, if you just want to respond with me by dropping any code, let's just do that for now. So, Holy Spirit, just come. God, we want you to be glorified. We want our lives to be about you. We just give everything to you and say, God, be glorified in this place freshly today. We drop our coats that might have been what we've been relying on. And God, even at times that we're struggling, that there's suffering, that there's difficulty, that we can't see what is to come, help us to be persistent to know that you are in control and you will be glorified, we pray. Thank you, my King. Amen. Amen.